Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is a Shares for Beginners quick tip. Essential lessons, questions answered. Behavioural finance is the application of psychology to financial decision-making. By allowing psychological biases and emotions to affect investment decisions, investors can do serious harm to their wealth. Zafar Subedar has over 15 years of experience in the financial services industry and academia. In this quick tip, he talks about how to avoid self-sabotaging behaviour, the guru syndrome, and the concept of loss aversion. It describes the pain of losing on an investment and what the psychologists and what the behavioural finance academics have found is that the pain of losing is two and a half times more than an equivalent gain. How do they measure that? I mean, I've heard that statistic. How do they measure that? Oh, they've measured that through uh, a number of studies around uncertainty. Questionnaires. And, yeah. Yeah, well, experiments, they've been the predominant uh, way of uh, doing that. And this two and a half times, it's not just with university students, it's with individual investors. Mm-hmm. I think I did a study a long time ago with finance professionals. This was just after the GFC, and I think they viewed the loss about 40 times more than an equivalent gain. <laughs> so if you think about it... They had professional skin in the game, didn't <laughs> that's they? That's <laughs> right. And I think the way to interpret it is like, if I've gained 10%, I feel good. But if I lose 10%, I feel very, very bad. That's the sort of qualitative summary of it. Mm. But I think the other point around loss aversion and shame, there's a couple of points. The reason why we hold on to our investments, so go back to that loss aversion, you've lost 5 10%, but it feels two and a half times more than that actual loss. The piece is we now feel that, hang on, I like this investment. I've liked it for a number of reasons, but I think it's going to rebound So this is where we are letting the uh, losers ride because we are in the hope that this investment will rebound. The second point is um, it's also that attachment. You've done so much work on this investment. You spent a lot of hours sourcing information, making the decision, and probably thirdly, you've gone out and told other people, so you've got that shame of, hang on, I'm going to end up here with egg on my face because, you know, I spent so much time looking at this investment and now it's underwater by 10 15%. I need to hold on to it because it's going to come good. So this is a challenge. So this shame or this loss aversion, that is you know, something that uh, explains why we ride losers in the hope of our investments to recover. But if we go back to those earlier studies, uh, we tend to do the opposite and uh, cap out our winners and um, ride those losers. Mm. And also, the other thing I should say is someone will say, what about tax and those sort of things? Well, yes, there could be some uh, tax advantages there with uh, riding some of the losers. But, um, you know, that's the area where I recommend you talk to your tax agent on. (laughs) That's right. It's not about tax. It's about making money in the end, isn't it? Well, that's the old saying, isn't it? If you're paying tax, you're making money. What about searching for gurus? I think there's a lot of people who want a guru as well. Yeah, and um, this is, there was a very, very peculiar study. It was actually done by some New Zealand academics 
probably mid-2000s and um, they call this the socialization effect. So if you think about it, you're going into a new environment, think about you're going into a, a new workplace or you're going into a, a new school if you're a child or you're going into some sort of professional environment. When you walk into that environment, you, from a previous experience, what your average was, your average, you know, are these people really good to work with? Yeah, they're pretty good. They're average compared to what I've experienced in the past. So all of a sudden, if you were at a previous uh, workplace and your average might have been seven for your previous employees in terms of how to work with and all that sort of um, jazz, now you go to a new workplace and all of a sudden it's a new environment and that average might be six or might be five or whatever it is. It's, it's declining or it could go the other way. So by going into a new environment, you start to change your mean. Now, what does that mean for investing? Back to your point about gurus, you will start sourcing people at the barbecue. You will start following other investment commentators that are out there and that now frames your environment to make a decision. So if they're a good stock picker or they're an average stock picker, do you measure that? And if they're not a good stock picker, if you haven't objectively measured that, guess what? Your new average is going to be a lot lower than perhaps what it was before. So it's very, very crucial what environment you're in and where you source information from to help you with, again, your long-term wealth. And it's also worth knowing that gurus are fallible as well. <laughs> Maybe don't even have any better idea of investing that you do. Well, that's right. And we've seen now the 10-second uh, investment updates you get on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So uh, the world is getting a lot more complex than what it was probably just two years ago. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't have made any money without those. <laughs> <laughs> Joke listeners, yeah. So the gurus that are setting themselves up on YouTube and TikTok and all over the social media now, they're not going through the rigorous process that many professionals in the financial industry have to do to justify their purchases and buying and selling decisions. What's something to watch out for and um, how can people think about these supposed gurus? So I think one way to look at gurus and uh, anyone that you use to influence your decision-making process is to consider their, their track record. So it's not just buy a particular investment. It's like, well, overall, how is their portfolio? Do they even have a portfolio? Do they show their holdings? Do they show what their investment mandate is? So, for example, some people might be high risk versus someone that's low risk. So how do you compare the pair, so to mm -hmm. speak? So that's why probably have a look at the institutional investors or the professional investors. So if you look at particularly active ETF providers, they've got all their holdings on they their website. A, they have a process and they tell you exactly what they're doing, how they're investing and their reasons for investing as well. That's right. They're very yeah. transparent. They've got a monthly update where they talk about what they've done with the portfolio, what the outlook is, what are and what were the major drivers and contributors to the performance over the last month. So you've got a transparent record there. And obviously you can go through and see the investment processes as well. And that's a bare minimum amount of verification you should be using to look at investment recommendations or obviously the performance of that type of investment you're considering. So there's a difference there between gurus and professionals. And again, looking at track records and making sure the results are actually valid is important. 
Okay, so we've heard about these biases. What are the shortcuts that we can take to become aware of them and be able to basically put these biases back in the place where they should be, which is not affecting our investing decisions? Yeah, and this is a a great question. I struggled with myself for a long time and, look, uh, I studied this for for a period of time. It's it's very difficult to do, first of all, and if you commit to this uh, journey, there's no doubt you will be a better investor. I think the key thing is, if you can identify some of these biases, you won't feel as ruffled, definitely as much during uh, some of these panic moments or the moments of volatility that we've been going through. So it's definitely an exercise worth doing. Um, I guess one of them, and we just discussed it, was uh, really keeping a record of your investment decisions and particularly where you were really confident with a decision. How did that go? So track that. You know, that's probably the first key point. So where you were feeling overconfident, very high conviction call, how did that investment decision go? And also, what sources of information do you use? You must be consistent. So if you're looking at Australian shares, or you're looking at global shares, what sources of information, who else were you listening to? Ensure that you are consistent. Because whenever you're buying or selling, it becomes a relative decision. And you want to ensure that you use the same sources of information to come to that conclusion. Thirdly, Obviously, don't monitor results too frequently. Whenever you you purchase something, particularly if it's a risky investment, there will be volatility. Use that time. Use that volatility to uh, ride out your decision. Give it time. So that's also important. Again, don't be myopic. Let your investment thesis mature. Another one, and it's probably a little bit more qualitative, is is an investment out of character? So if you've historically been someone that's invested in listed investments and now you're considering something that's not as liquid, such as venture capital or private equity, private debt, why are you going down that path? And what prism are you going to look through to evaluate this investment? So that's something you should look at, particularly, I think, with the new sorts of uh, investment offerings that are out there, new asset classes, be it cryptocurrency or uh, more sophisticated type investments. I also think you need to consider the multidimensional nature of risk. So it's not a particular risk to an investment, but what about things such as credit, particular relationships? (laughs) We know what's happening if you've invested um, with anything linked to Russia. Think about those things when you're investing in something peculiar or something that's higher risk. Is there one or two other qualitative risks that may affect that type of business that you can't see in the financial statements? If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.